0: Welcome to the Hear It podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Roberts, and I'll be speaking with guests about their work, research and ideas on better engaging young people. I really hope you like it. So this week, we're joined by Sue Jones, Deputy CEO of anti-bullying charity, Ditch the Label, a global youth charity helping young people with some of the big challenges they face from mental health and identity to bullying. Their insights and annual bullying report provide a wealth of data on how young people are feeling, dealing with and experiencing life. Sue, thank you so much for coming on the Here It podcast today. You're very welcome. It's lovely to meet you. So tell us a little bit about your career and how you landed at Ditch the Label and what it is you do there.
1: Well, I've been at Ditch the Label for over eight years now, but I initially, um, when I left school, went into the slightly dry profession of banking. I think it appealed to the organisational nature and the compliance and that sort of stuff because it's something I do really enjoy. And then I was very involved around that time as well in volunteering around activism and equality because I was, when I was sort of like a teenager and slightly older, Section 28 was very much in the news and all the impact of that and I was incredibly passionate um, about that particular thing and very involved in um, trying to actually gain equality around those issues. So I've never quite lost that desire for justice and for true equality. And they were very divisive times, quite a long parenting break where I was raising my children and then started volunteering um, with it today because it really appealed to me because it looked at intersectionality of equality and not just one area. It looked at how they're all interlinked what the root causes were, so not just one thing. And that really appealed to me. So I started initially volunteering and decided to take the plunge and leave my job that I was in. Um, Took a sort of a leap of faith, which I'm very, very happy that I did because I went from volunteering and rose up through different uh, roles within the charity and um, ended up um, so far as deputy CEO. So the things I do in the charity are looking at things like compliance and policy and safeguarding. So I oversee all of these things to make sure we're not only providing the best possible um, safeguarding and training and the best partnerships for people, but we're also completely compliant. One of my passions is policy work. So I make sure to represent and amplify youth voices. Otherwise it's too easy when you sit on select committees and round tables and you look at if there's an agenda of something, too often, the one question you find yourself saying to people is, where is a youth voice here? Where are children's voices? So trying to actually bring that forward. So not doing what you think young people want and need, but actually reflecting their voice and saying, this is our lived experience, making sure you get that across to people. And actually, you can make quite a lot of change there, because it does lead to a lot more safety. So, for example, I worked extensively on the online harms white paper with the Home Office and uh, DCMS. I also worked extensively over the last few years with the Law Commission, where they're changing laws to make whatever is illegal offline should also be illegal online, so people have more protections. And I'm particularly passionate about areas of trans equality, which has been very heavily in the news, but it's been a passion of mine for years and um, SEN and D, those sort of things. To me, this all feeds into the true intersectionality to make sure all voices are represented and amplified. And another thing I do is I'm the project lead on our annual bullying survey, which we, so I've been leading that since 2015. And I've managed to grow that right up to we regularly get over 23,000 responses on that, which really helps lead our work. Um, yeah, it's an amazing report. Um, I'll put a link to the sh- in the
0: show notes about it. And that's how, I guess, I came across some of your work online and saw everything that you did. And we're talking in this episode in particular on that um, online life and that sort of pressure and perfectionism that, I guess, is portrayed online. And your annual bullying survey has highlighted that 47% of young people said that they think they're bullied because of their appearance. And consistently, social media has been a common area of concern. Do you think social media is driving a particular type of bullying?
1: I don't think it's the cause of everything, because I think there are many causes that lead it. But it certainly is a platform that is amplifying it. So uh, we consistently find year on year that appearance based bullying is the biggest driver for bullying, and how people perceive they've been attacked. Now, this could be from what somebody looks like their hair their makeup their skin anything but it also can that then leads into skin color body size and all of these things as well so it leads into all of those things and when you think of young people and navigating life it's enough you've already got a host of things that you're struggling through so then have to deal with that on top of it it does amplify that so for example we call it compare and despair you so you kind of see things and it could be any platform but you you know you might look at influencers for example on instagram that are selling this beautiful life when at, the actual fact of that is that it might have been a 15 minute snapshot of a day they've set up a photograph and everything so we have to remember that all young people mature at different times not just when they're handed a smartphone they don't suddenly mature on that point so We need to talk to them, and this is something we do, about critically navigating what they're seeing, so looking further than what they're seeing on face value. We don't think that the internet and social media is a terrible thing. We just want them to be able to use it safely and critically. For example, for young women in particular, if you just looked at social media, they're basically being taught that all of their value is in how they look and their appearance, when obviously there is far more to young women than that. And you can put a picture up and you could have 99 fantastic comments on that or likes, but it's the one negative comment that's the one that you're going to take away and think about. So that is really, the impact on that is huge. And if somebody attacks you for your appearance, and that could be based on your gender expression or the colour of your skin, you're attacking the very core of someone's identity, something they should quite rightly be incredibly proud of and they should be embracing. So that makes people, you know, underlying, that hits our real confidence and how we feel about ourselves. And if you then add in other things, for example, if somebody is being attacked on the basis of their appearance and they also happen to be part of the LGBTQIA community, they might have a disability, they might come from a low socioeconomic background, if all of these things are amplified if somebody also attacks those things. So it isn't a case of just one thing. It is literally this storm of things that just happen. I mean, we were talking about this five years ago, and we did a partnership with Boohoo where we did a video on InstaLife versus reality. And that's five years ago, and it has literally had over 74 million views. It's, it literally went viral. because We were saying, look, here's the finished product, and this is what's gone on behind it. So it's something that we're very passionate about, which um, it's digital literacy, basically, or media information literacy. We need more of that. And we need to encourage young people to criticise what they're seeing and question what they're seeing.
0: Yeah, and lockdown's provided somewhat of a perfect storm for this rise in loneliness um, amongst a generation that's already over-indexing on feeling lonely. So like the most connected, but they feel quite separate as well. So plus this rise in screen time and, and social media, what concerns are there as we move out the pandemic of how young people are going to be experiencing things?
1: I think the concern, and we've seen this directly, is prior to the pandemic there was this looming mental health crisis. Anyway, there was already pressure on services. Young people were struggling. We've then gone headlong into a pandemic. We cannot expect anyone, even fully formed adults who are able to, you know, have complete autonomy over their lives, are struggling. So the fact that you've got a young person navigating this. And you mentioned before, it's a complete dichotomy. We're more connected than ever before, yet we actually say how lonely we are. So we do need to look at this. And there are real fears around young people returning to school. There's an absolute terror attached to that because they are, more than any other time in history, young people are assaulted from all angles with media information. Is that true? Is that not? Obviously, papers and media and TV programs, it's all. it's like a clickbait. So this is being absorbed by young people all the time. They sort of cannot escape it and it's become really divisive. So if you look at the political arena, for example, it used to be going back quite a few years that you had sort of like people on the right, people on the left, and there was somewhere this movable middle sort of liberal. That doesn't exist anymore. It's left and right. There is nothing in between and If you have a young person that's already living in difficult circumstances, they might be living in a situation where they're in an unsafe household, um, there's abuse going on. They don't have access to their normal safeguarding places, and that could even just be checking in with a teacher. So there's also a real worry that we hear all the time. They're worried about how they're going to catch up, how they're going to catch up on work and how that's going to impact potential careers and university places. These are very real issues for young people. I think there's a tendency to assume that, oh, it's fine, kids don't have to worry. Well, actually, they have very real worries, which we should be listening to. And this will inevitably put even more pressures on teachers who are then trying to catch up and then trying to make sure they're okay. Most of this is going to fall on charities, I think, to pick up um, this and um, to mitigate the pressures on young people because you know obviously the, you know with the support of teachers so it's very very concerning for us.
0: Your report last year highlighted the 25% increase year on year of bullying which just seems staggering. Uh, what are the implications of that? What are the solutions to sort of address with, with bullying?
1: We have been saying at Ditch the Label since 2016 we did an enormous report on perpetration Why do people bully? Prior to that, been advocating for years to not criminalise bullying as a criminal act because it is a behaviour. Now, some forms of bullying can be criminal, like theft and assault, and you know, we appreciate that, but there was a move within the anti bullying sort of sector to criminalise it as a behaviour, and we were absolutely against that because that would have mean you're criminalising children and young people for something where they actually need help. So we wanted to look beyond that. We did an enormous report which looked at why people bully. And it really did start to make a change across the sector of how we look at this. These are young people in crisis and that need help. And often you're the first person that said to them, what's going on for you? And we didn't find any cases where somebody said, well, I bullied that person for six months because I thought it was funny. We just never found that. It was always, there was something going on. They'd experienced some sort of trauma. It could have been um, a, a domestic incident at home, like the parents might have separated. They suffered a bereavement. There was a trauma. They, something had happened to them. There was always a reason behind it. So we were saying, and we have been saying ever since, we cannot just be reactive to this sort of stuff. We have to put the work in proactively. We need to look at root issues, look at all the players within bullying. So those that are victimised to it, those that witness it and those that are perpetrators to it. Otherwise, you're only looking at one thing and you're just mopping up and putting a band-aid. Then the approach... Um, most sort of um, initiatives that come down, for example, from the government are focused on those who are victimised to bullying. And we understand that that's incredibly important and we will never stop supporting people on that. But unless we deal with the effects that lead up to it, this is just going to continue. You add on top of that a backdrop of a political arena where really hateful views are being validated and one in three of the young people we spoke to said they had felt that that had filtered down into schools and affected people's behaviour. So because if, you know, if a politician says something, well, that's fine. You know, it's a thing that was said. The politician said it, it must be OK. So this validates often problematic all the way up to extreme views. So unless we take the approach where we're dealing with root issues, we're supporting all young people, not just some, all young people get supported, regardless of where they are in that um, triangle of bullying behaviour, we're never going to make any progress. And we still hear from people now that were bullied, they're sort of in their 50s now, and they are still coping with the fallout from bullying in their youth. So this, you know, we're incredibly passionate about that. So if we help young people now, we believe all young people deserve help. And then they're less likely to take those behaviours into... The rest of their education, whether that be college or uni, the workplace, relationships, parenting, they're less likely to take those things forward. They deserve that. But in terms of the increase of things, and uh, recently where obviously most of their interaction has been online, we've seen in our support services, the demand has gone up by over 158% since the first lockdown of 2020, and the severity of the cases Um, has definitely increased and safeguarding issues have doubled. So there is a real problem there. Unless we deal with all the angles of it, we can't play lip service to it. We need to be looking at lots of Charities coming together, working collaboratively, that's really important to us. And also looking at things like the United Nations have done some wonderful initiatives, like the General Comment 25 was recently passed, which gives digital rights. And all of this needs to be cohesive and everywhere. So in schools, it has to be a top-down, a consistent approach throughout. And when laws happen, like the Law Commission changes and the Online Harms White Paper, these all need to work together together so that everybody is singing from the same song sheet. How do you think
0: campaigns and initiatives can help young people with some of these challenges? And I guess most people listening will be part of a marketing comms team wanting to improve things maybe in part of their work. How would you
1: suggest they approach any of this? 100% put young people front and centre of everything that you do. It's no good just to say we want to do well. They have to be involved in it. Nothing should happen without their input. We're not always right if we assume that we know what children and young people want and need. That could be, for example, you know, there could be a certain fear that parents have that, for example, my children's getting groomed online constantly. Now, whilst I'm saying obviously that does happen, when you actually speak to young people, it may not be happening to the extent that people are worried about. So, resources are going into the wrong places. So, you have to have their voice and you have to amplify their voice and ask them. Seek constructive criticism. That's the best thing to do. For example, we have a youth task force. If we come up with a new program idea or we want to make changes to the website or whatever it is, we hand that over to people and we say, criticise that to pieces. What's good? What's bad? What should we get rid of? What don't you want to see? We do that through our surveys. So when we're talking to young people, we're saying, tell us what we're doing well, tell us what we're not doing well. We genuinely want that criticism um, and we embrace that. So Anyone who is trying to do that with young people, you have to have them on board. And it isn't something to shy away from. It should be something we actually embrace. And go to the Hangouts that they are in, their digital Hangouts. Don't just assume they're going to come to you. Obviously, I mean, we provide support so young people can come to us. But we also do this across all social media platforms. We go to gaming platforms. We partner with um, gaming companies to make sure we're where they are. So it's no good just saying, well, you're getting bullied on a gaming platform, just step away from it. We'll go there and we'll provide support within that platform. So that's what we should be doing. Pivot and adjust your services to suit young people. We cannot always assume that what you were providing even five years ago is relevant today. It has to be um, what young people need. And don't shy away from asking difficult questions, because ultimately young people are absolutely amazing and they will be really honest with you. And they're really cluey. They they know what's going on and what they need. So don't shy away from it. Ask them and then amplify their voices.
0: I love that. It always makes me, um, I feel the dread when someone says, I've got everything ready and then they just need to sign up to my newsletter. I'm like, why would they sign up to your newsletter? They have no interest. (laughs) What's in it for them? So um, that's really good advice. Are there any brands, campaigns or initiatives that you think do a particularly good job at engaging people?
1: I mean, there are a lot of brands that are Trying really hard on other platforms. So, for example, a lot of brands are moving on to say TikTok. The Washington Post used that very successfully. So they use that to break down news to a younger audience. There's an element of humour to it, but not in a way that reduces the actual impact of the news that they're sharing. And they are reaching an audience They're speaking in their language. And so that sort of stuff is really good. So brands, they have to appeal to Gen Z's sense of humour and the platforms that they're on and look at new forms of content. So for example, if you get brands that use clapbacks on social media, this is really appealing to people, especially if that, that that brand then doubles down on something. So if a brand is, for example, supporting a pride campaign and they come under criticism... And then they clap back and double down and saying, you know, they do it in a humorous way saying, we're going to continue to be supportive. That sort of stuff is really successful because young people know when something is good or bad. They know whether there's honesty behind something or whether somebody's ticking a checkbox saying, oh, we've done our thing for diversity. We've done our thing for that. They know when that's going on. So they can see if it's genuine. And I think brands that do that well are the ones that do adapt to platforms like TikTok or, and all the other ones that will come out. And are there any um, books or podcasts or newsletters that you'd recommend? I don't think anyone will be interested in my reading this but a sort of a little bit of a plug our CEO um, has written a book called Fearless which is aimed at all young people and it is aimed at improving confidence and self-esteem and it looks at fear so it looks at why do we fear being judged and what can we do about it what can we do about our fear of not fitting in or expressing emotions and things like that so and it's aimed at young people to try and actually give them practical tips to help them in a non-patronising manner brilliant i shall link that up in the show notes as well
0: thank you so much
1: for getting involved today thank you
0: thank you for listening to the hear it podcast you can find links to everything we talked about in the show notes if you'd like to get in touch you can find us on twitter at the hear it podcast or threadandfable.com and if you've enjoyed the show today please drop us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts